Well, uh, take out your Bibles and your smart devices and uh, make ready the passage we're going to look at this morning, Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. Many of you uh, know our youngest daughter, Riley. Uh, she's relatively new to our family. Uh, she's been with us for almost two years. We, we first... Uh, uh, she first came to us when she was six years old in May of 2015, and, and we adopted her uh, finally last August. And she arrived in, in May of 2015 with an incredibly strong will. To say that she's a strong-willed child is, is a vast understatement. Just last night, we had some, some of Mason's friends over, we're playing board games and things, and, and Riley likes to to be part of the action, and so we let her be part of the action. And when it's time for her, her bedtime, uh, we, we tell her, Riley, it's, it's time for bed. But just prior to that, um, the, the kids were watching, uh, in the afternoon, the kids were watching Lord of the Rings. Uh, I'm a, anybody Lord of the Rings fans? Uh, we're Lord of the Rings fans in our house. And so this isn't a movie that we particularly want Riley to watch. You know, a lot of heads, orcs heads being chopped off and, and sword play and things. So so we, we tell her, Riley, you, you need to, to get your Kindle and, and find something to watch. And you know what her response immediately is, right? I've seen that movie before, which she hasn't. I want to I watch this. I want to watch that. No, you, you, you can't watch that. You need to, you need to get your headphones, and uh, we can, you can be in the room with us. But, but this is, stomps off, angry, mad. It, this, this is a 15-minute ordeal because... She really wants her will to be done. I was away in Nicaragua, and uh, my wife tells me on the phone, I, I called her up, and she said, tonight Riley um, wanted me to give her a, a piece of sausage, but she refused to use the word sausage in her request. And my wife said, Riley, you can you know, tell me what, I want that. You tell me what you want. I don't know what that's called. Really? You, you've had sausage, you know, a hundred times in your life, you know, or we eat sausage at our house all the time. And, uh, and, but her, her desire was not necessarily to, to uh, uh, learn the word sausage. Her desire was to control the situation. Uh, Riley's will remains super strong, but she has come so far from where our journey began together. She's beginning to trust that mom and dad really do love her and really do want to protect her and do what is best for her. On Friday, I got home about 1 a.m. and, and Camden needed my car, uh, so he had come home. So at, at 5.30 the next morning, I, I got up and, uh, and he was home and he had to leave by 6. And so we, we swapped cars and, and I get his little hot rod. He's got this little Mazda Protege 5 that has this booming stereo system. It's bright yellow. Um, you know, I, it's a car the cops like to stop, <laughs> I think. So you got to be careful. I got to be careful when I drove it. I, I got pulled over a few months ago driving it. I failed to stop at a stop sign here at Browns Road. And I think the cop thought I was some hot rod kid. I said, no, I'm the pastor of that church right there. <laughs> uh, he let me off. He let me off. I, I play that pastor card whenever I, whenever I can. <laughs> Um, so anyways, I, I get to drive his car, and, and his car has this, he, he bought it from a guy in Pennsylvania, and it, has, it came with an SD card inside the, the stereo system, and it happens to have the 
top 100 hits of the 80s on it. And so, I, you know, I, th- this is my music, you know. So I'm, I'm listening. My wife hates 80s music. <laughs> like, so if I get in Cam's car, I get to listen to, to 80s music. So I'm, I'm listening, and, and, uh, and I hear the song Mr. Roboto by, by Styx. You guys remember Mr. Roboto? See, those of you my age and older know, know that song. You young kids don't, don't know any good music at all. And so I'm listening to the song, and the words in the song, it says this. He says, I'm just a man whose circumstances went beyond his control, beyond my control. We all need control. I need control. We all need control. I mean, that, that about sums it up on our part. And I, th- I think of Riley, and I think of, of her desire to control situations, and, and her desire comes really naturally. She, she's experienced more in her young life than most of us have and that I have in 40-some years of, of living. And her life from, from a very young age was, was very much out of control. And so her desire is to get some semblance of control. And she does this all the time. And my, my wife and I are like, we just want you to, to trust us. But what's the one thing Riley's learned? I can't trust adults. I can't trust the people who should be trustworthy. So I, this got me thinking about me and, and my relationships, and I've, I've had some conversations lately that have led me to believe that few of us dare to trust other people. We, we use this device to connect to thousands of people through our favorite type of social media, right? Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and, I don't know, probably Twitter, there's all, all kinds of ways that, that we connect with thousands of people. Um, we, we can play games. Um, my, my son has, has a, an Xbox One S, and, and he can play a game with someone in Germany or, or wherever, Hong Kong. Uh, you can play games with people on the other side of the world that are, that are your friends. And yet we're, I think we're failing to develop even one close friendship where we might fully trust that person. So it comes as no surprise for me that I have difficulty sometimes in trusting God. I look at my future and all I want to do is figure out how to control it. Any any of you guys feel that way? Either it's through investments or through um, controlling my my kids and who their friends are or, or controlling my health you know, go and see this doctor or that doctor or, or try to do this or eat this way. Uh, I just want to figure out how I can control it. But let's, let's read together our, the passage this morning. Um, Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. I think I've got it. Yeah, it's up there. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Not mine, yours. 
that's really what we're, we're, we're talking about this morning. Not my will, but yours. Jesus stared down his future. Now, if you don't know this about Jesus, Jesus was God incarnate, so he could see the future where he was headed. That was a skill. That's a skill I, I kind of wish I, I could have. Wouldn't that be fun to be able to see the future? You get a place to bet on the Cubs to win the World Series, and you would be a rich person at this point. You know, a total, total shocker. Hundred and whatever years they have won the World Series, It'd be great. It'd be great to see the future. But Jesus could see the future. He saw it with crystal clarity. He saw it wasn't going to be good at all. He saw the pain and the suffering, the physical anguish and torment. He saw the emotional despair of separation from his father. He saw all of that and was still able to say, not mine, yours. How could he do that? Why could he do that? Because he trusted his father completely. You see, surrendering our will has everything to do with trust. Do we trust the person we're surrendering our our will to. In the case of Jesus, he he trusted his heavenly father completely. In the case of of me as a a human man, probably the person I trust the most is my wife. But do I trust her completely? Hmm. I'll say yes because she's sitting here. Second service, I might say a different answer, but do we, do we trust anyone completely? And, and this, this affects so much of our relationships. You know, Jesus goes to the garden. He's got Peter, James, and John he takes with him. He, he trusts those guys. Those are his, his inner circle. Those are the guys he's, he's spending time with, the most time with. Do we have people like that in our lives that we trust really well? You know, the, the flip side of these devices is it, it, they inherently cause distrust. If I share something with someone and they happen to share what I shared with them and they put it on social media, now thousands of people are into my business. If I share with, with someone close to me a sin that I'm struggling with and then they tweet it, now the Twitter universe knows my deepest, darkest issues. Well, we don't want to share then with people because we're afraid that, that the word's going to get out. Well, I got news for you. I, I am a sinner. <laughs> but I don't want you to know that, right? I don't want others to, to know that, what's going on in my life. But Jesus had these, these close guys, and he trusted them. And more than that, he trusted his father. Philippians chapter 2 says this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death. On the cross. You see, Jesus has earned the right to be trusted. More so than any of my friends, more so than my wife. Jesus has earned the right to be trusted. Why? Because he left heaven, came to earth, 
took the humble position of a slave of, as a human being and was obedient to God and died on a cross for me. He saw that future and still submitted himself to God's will. Too many of us, I think, want to get some sort of assurance that our future is going to be pain-free, full of abundant cash flow, and when we get to the end, we'll die in our sleep. Wouldn't that be great? You know? Isn't that the future we all, we all want? Great. There have been literal mega-religious empires built on that desire. You don't have to search very far to find the theology of faith equals awesomeness of some sort. We seem to think that if we do the right things and don't do the wrong things, then we have some sort of right to expect that God owes us an answer to our prayers that is our answer to our prayers. He owes us this good life and a ticket to heaven when we die. And instead of needing a Savior who pardons us by grace, we become our own Savior by by what we do. Lord, I'm so good. I have such great intentions. You need to bless me with with this kind of life. Friday night, uh, my wife and I host a a small group in in our house, and uh, we watched a presentation by Tim Keller. Uh, He's a pastor of a church in, in New York City, and and it was on Psalm 91, and, and I want to read Psalm 91. Um, I don't have it printed up there, but if, if you want to flip to it, you can, you can flip to it. Um, Psalm 91, which on the surface, it seems like it promises protection from harm and illness and, and all bad things for the person who puts their faith in God, but we're just going to examine it for a moment. It says this, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. That seems like the the charter passage for, for the theology known as the prosperity gospel. The crazy thing about this passage is that Satan actually quotes it to Jesus, when, when Jesus is in the desert and being tempted, th- this is a quote that Satan says. Satan basically says, if you trust in God, he's not even going to let you stub your toe. That was in, in verse uh, uh, 12. You won't even hurt your foot on a stone. If you trust in, in God, you won't even in stub your toe. He's telling Jesus, if, if God lets you suffer, he is not good. And he's not true to his word, so you can't trust him. The devil is trying to to get Jesus to not trust God. 
I think he uses this strategy today for all of us. If we can get get to a point where we don't trust God, then we're not ever going to surrender our will to him, ever. Satan wants us to read the psalm this way. If you really believe that if you are faithful to God and really trust him, that he, won't just, that he just won't let terribly, thing, terribly bad things happen to you. If you really believe that, then you will inevitably dis- be disappointed. Right? Because how many of us can avoid bad things? My wife and I, uh, my wife mostly for the past several months, has been saving some money to help a, a family that, that has really impacted us in, in Nicaragua. And so we, we were getting a tax return, we hope, we thought. And uh, we, we decided that we were going to give $1,000 out of our, of our taxes to kind of help this, this situation. That's a good thing, right? We're doing a good thing. When I came home, we found out that we had made a mistake on our taxes that was going to cost us 1000 bucks. Like, come on, God, what the heck? You know, we, we're trying to do this good thing. Shouldn't you have blessed us with like double our tax return? That's not, how, that's not how it works. We inevitably will be disappointed. And that disappointment causes us to withdraw from God. Because if you don't think God can be trusted, then you're not going to trust him the next time. It's no different with a child. Riley has been, been hurt and, and has been victim to mistrust for many years of her life. She's not just going to automatically trust the next set of parents. I mean, she's been in six foster homes. She's not just automatically, oh, yeah, this set's going to be different. They're not going to hurt me. They're not. No, you're going to withdraw. So when you, when you think that, that God's going to bless because of your behavior, because of your faith or your trust, and then you're inevitably disappointed, cause you to withdraw from God, you're not going to have the peace that's promised in this passage And eventually you're going to grow old and and somewhat bitter. The promise in this passage is that if you trust God completely in the difficult times, you will become the kind of person who can handle difficult times. Verses 14 through 16, this this is the key. In fact, it's, it's right there in verse 15. It says, when they call on me, I'll answer. I will be with them in trouble. It doesn't say I'm going to protect you from trouble. I will be with you in the trouble. That that is the kind of person we're talking about. That's why God can be trusted. He will be with us in trouble. Jesus suffered. Any of you that have watched The Passion of the Christ, you walk away from that film, you you can't get away from the fact that, my goodness, the level of suffering. You know, I had an image in my mind, but when I watched that movie, that image... Was, was increased hundredfold. Jesus suffered. Paul, who I would venture to say is the greatest Christian of all time, suffered. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, or chapter 11, uh, verses 23 and forward says, I have worked, Paul says this, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again, Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me the 39 lashes because 40 would kill a guy. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. 
I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. I don't know about you, but I think I would have found it pretty difficult to see that kind of past or, or think that that could be in my future and trust that God's will was, was good for me. I mean, after the first time I got beat, I'd be like, man, this isn't much fun here. God, if this is your will, what is going on? Or to get stoned. I mean, can you imagine, you know, hey, I'm standing here and people are starting to throw rocks at you and, and they keep doing it until they think you're dead. That's crazy stuff. To, to trust that God wanted to give me only good things, or at least only things that I consider to be good, you know, none of us can avoid the bad stuff. We're all going to die. The question for us is this. Are we willing to submit our will in the meantime? Paul writes in, in Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul put his trust in Christ. In fact, Paul argued that Christ is the only place that's trustworthy. He's been there. He's experienced suffering and anguish, though he deserved none of it. He's earned the right to be completely trustworthy. So when we pray, are we willing to put everything out on the table and trust that God's will is perfect? Or are we going to try to bend God to our will? Riley has tried this about 2,000 times in the 700 days that we've known her. And that might be a generous understatement. <laughs> April rides with her in the car every day to school. I didn't even count those times. She should be figuring out by now that it's not going to work. We are not going to bend to her will. We know what's best for her. So why do I try to do that with my heavenly father? He knows what's best for me and you. But I constantly try to bend his will to mine. I should be figuring out by now that, that that's, that's not going to work. He's not going to take orders from me. What, what I need to understand is, is I need to submit to, to his will. And then if trouble comes along, I, I can trust him. And trust him completely. What part of your life is, is like that today? What area of your life do you hold sway? Do you hold the power? What is your garden of Gethsemane? Where do you need to surrender control? I think in your, in your little sermon notes, I, I made a red box. I, I've put some examples here in, in this red box, but whatever comes to your mind, write it down in that little red box and decide today to give it up. And remember the words of Jesus. Not mine. Yours. As I, as I close uh, our, our, our time together with prayer and the worship team comes, 
if you're willing and, and, and it's something that, that you feel led to do, you, you can come, come up to the front. We don't, we don't often do altar calls in, in church. But if you, if you want another person to, to at least be praying about your Gethsemane, you, you can come up to the front. You can just kneel and pray. I'm not going to promise that anybody's going to come and pray with you. They can be praying for you from their seats. I think we all have, have a Gethsemane in our lives. And, and I, I don't want to pressure anybody. I, I don't want to make it a big deal. But, but if you need someone else to be in prayer, that you would be, be more able to submit your will to his, then come. Then come. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us for being control freaks. Forgive us for elevating our will above yours. It's so difficult for us to trust. Our past hurts, people who have taken our trust and broken it, our own doubts even, all lead us to not trust you. But you are trustworthy. You've been through it all, and we can trust you. Help us to surrender our will to yours because we want to give you honor and glory for you are worthy to be praised. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.